Uh, Genesis chapter 23, if you've been following along, last week uh, it was a pretty powerful passage where uh, in Genesis 22, um, Abraham was tested and he was to sacrifice his only son whom he loved, Isaac, and sacrifice him, take him on a three-day journey and sacrifice him at a place uh, that he did not know where he was going, but God would show him. And that was Mount Moriah with modern-day Jerusalem, where 2,000 years later, actually, the Lord would be sacrificed. And um, as you know, if you didn't read the story, you know that he did not uh, go through with it. God stopped him. The angel of the Lord said, hey, hold it, right before he's about to do it. He goes, now that I know that you fear the Lord. And what was the thing that Abraham had been struggling with his whole life? Fear. It was misplaced fear. Fear of man, fear of what they would think, fear of what they would do. And we find out that uh, the proper place for fear is the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. And there is an element of, oh my goodness, he is terrifying. He's all-powerful. But when we enter into that love relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, we realize that the wrath of God has been diverted from us, and we no longer have that fear of judgment upon us that 1 John talks about. And Abraham, uh, he, was, he was a guy just like a lot of us are, you know, just uh, he would often make decisions based upon how he felt that day or what the circumstances were around him, and it just paralyzed him at times. It caused him to, you know, say, hey, uh, wife, why don't you go ahead and lie for me t- two times here, 25 years apart, and by the way, you're going to go into a harem, but I'll be okay, you know. And we find that fear can make us do things that we really, really wouldn't do in our, in our normal mindset. And it captures us all. And this is a very fearful society we live in. And it, it is, I don't know, I have great comfort with all the things going on in my body, in your bodies, in, in the life that we have a God that is bigger than all this, stronger than all this. He is in control And if he allows things to happen, he has a reason for it. And I know that in the end, uh, it's going to be good. I kind of flipped, I cheated, and I read the end, and we win. Uh, And it's awesome. It's awesome. And the Lord redeems, he wipes away our tears, and he gives us new bodies, and and it's, it's just amazing. But right now is the hard part. Right now is the walk of faith. It's walking by uh, faith and not by sight. And let me tell you, there's a lot of things pressing upon us, pressing upon our, 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 our fellowship, our families that would cause us to walk by sight, make decisions based out of fear instead of what God says. It's really difficult when you're coming to a circumstance in your life where you have to go, I have to go on autopilot. I can't make this decision. I have to do what you say and not what I feel. It's hard in our marriages, and our relationships, anybody? It's hard when we have loved ones who are hurting. It's hard when we're raising kids. It's hard at work. Slaves, honor your masters. Who wants to hear that? But they're mistreating me. It's time for me to speak up and smack them down and all this type of stuff, right? Oh, it's difficult to walk like Christ walked. And yet we see God is fashioning Abraham. He's going to fashion Isaac. Jacob, Joseph, each one of these patriarchs, so to speak, we're going to see him watch these guys from their youth, and he's going to fashion them over a period of years 
into the image of Christ. It's beautiful. And so take hope if you're struggling this morning. Take hope if you're fearful, if you're worried, or if you're prideful, whatever it might be, or you're a heel catcher. God knows how to bring us to maturity in Christ, and he's so faithful to do it. So this test was a heavy test, but I would say a heavier test came in chapter 23. Uh, following the death of Isaac, uh, I'm sorry, follow the test of Isaac. It says, chapter 23, verse 1, says, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Uh, First thing I want to point out is that this is a miracle in itself, that it, it actually gives a woman's age in the Bible. This is the only time the only time that a woman's age is recorded, probably because they don't like it, but it's actually a, um, it's a testimony to her. It's a testimony to her. And it says in verse 2, it says, She died at Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went out to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Sarah lived 127 years. That is a long time. And it gives us a measure of how highly she's regarded by the, its recording of her, of her death. Uh, nowhere in the Bible, it's interesting that nowhere in the Bible, do we, when we look to it, do we find a, a woman to be an example of as highly as Sarah. I mean, she's mentioned twice in, in quite pi- in, in pivotal moments in Scripture. Uh, in Isaiah 51, 1 through 2, and also 1 Peter 3 through 6 about uh, a godly woman, what, what she was as an example to the ladies and even to men, by, by the way. But uh, just reading that, First Peter 3, uh, verse 3 through 6, says, Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands. And obviously, it verse said before, Hey, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Die daily for them. Pretty fun. So, and, and he goes on and says, Wives, in the same way, submit to your so, uh, yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, and when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And so it's in verse 3, it says, your, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. It's not to say that you can't have outward beauty, but he said that's not where it should shine from. And, he, and, and he's pick, making a picture here in First Peter 3. It says, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great, of great worth in God's sight. Uh, this is the verse the Lord gave me for my wife, Christine, before I met her, and a month before I met her, uh, two months before I met her. Lord is pre- uh, preparing my heart for her. I was praying, what kind of wife do you want me to have, Lord? And... Uh, that was it, a gentle, quiet spirit. And uh, man, just that inward beauty that shined, that radiance, that love for the Lord that just flowed through her life. And in this society that we live in, so much is superficial, so much is outside with mankind, guys and girls, isn't it? It's all about how we look and what we wear and what we say. And it's all about the image, the facade. And we find that Jesus was talking about this stuff with the Pharisees. Look at the way that you dress and look. You look the part. You wear the clothes. You say the prayers. You do all the things. But inside, you're, you're full of dead men's bones. It's like you're deaf. And, and we have a society that worships the outside. We worship how people look instead of the, the content and the character of their heart. And so often we can be so uh, preoccupied with how we look in the mirror that we, f- we fail 
to look inside to what really counts, a heart that is before God clean and pure because of Jesus, that's in relationship with him, that is submitted to him. That is the heart that God desires in the women of this church. That is the, God, that is the heart that, by the way, God desires in the men of this church, a heart that is submitted towards the Lord. And it says, goes on, it says, For this is the way that holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They used to clothe themselves with this way. This, is, this was their bling. This is what shined all about them. Now, Sarah, she was, she was rich. But what shone about Sarah was her, her heart, that inward beauty towards the Lord. For in this way, Holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husband like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him uh, her Lord. And you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And that's the real struggle that we have is, is a fear. when we what, I won't be accepted. What do I look like? And all this type of stuff. Not giving away to fear, but going to what God says about you. Going to what God says is beautiful. Not the world. That is a challenge to us this morning. But Sarah was referred to as a model uh, Christian woman, so to speak, and wife. And she is recorded in scriptures also as a woman of faith. So she had the inward beauty, but she also had the spiritual beauty, right? Which would kind of tie together. Hebrews eleven eighteen, talking about you know, all the people who had, who had died and, and gone before not receiving the promise. But it says, by, by faith... In, in Hebrews 11, 8, it says, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Remember, he got called out of Ur. It says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, and he lived in tents, as Isaac did, and in Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations, whose architect and builder was God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Here amongst all these giants of the faith, Sarah's put in there. The reason why she was able to conceive is because she believed the promise of God. And that faith allowed it to happen in her life. That's amazing to me. And here she is mentioned in the hall of faith. And so from this one man, as good as dead, came the descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and countless as the sands of the seashore. So not only Abraham's faith was highlighted, but Sarah, his wife, and she was considered faithful. Sarah was a woman who trusted God's word above all else in the end. And what I love about this is that Sarah, when I read through that, does she not have like a lot of flaws? She's like telling off Hagar like every five minutes, kicking her out of the house, you know, telling Abraham to do this and that. I mean, there's some, there's some definite flaws, but when we look at it through God's eyes, what, kind of, what, what happens in the end? What does he see? Boy, he sees faith. He sees Christ in us. I love that about the Lord. That helps me out greatly. Many flaws. Praise the Lord for his grace. And she died in Hebron, and Abraham mourned over her. And this word for mourn means he just lost it. He wailed. 
He cried, he bemoaned, he deeply grieved. And I don't know, there are those out there who say, you know, hey, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't mourn over the death of, you know, someone who's gone to heaven. And, it, you know, and, and we try to do celebration services, which is cool because we're celebrating their life, but there's, there's, a, there's a loss. There's a, there's a heart-filled loss there, and it's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn the loss of someone. It's okay to deeply grieve. Here, Abraham, Abraham did. Jesus cried over the death of Lazarus, his, his, one of his dear friends. Remember John 11? It says, on his, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out to follow her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, Come and see, they replied. And Jesus wept. He just fell apart. He was broken. He was overcome with emotion. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Identifying with us in almost every way that we can imagine. It says, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not open the eyes of the blind and kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, for you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this in the ben- for the benefit of those people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's our Lord. He understands when we lose someone how much it hurts. But nevertheless, he is life. And at his word, 
the dead will be raised. The dead will be raised. Jesus wept over Lazarus. We should weep too. It's because he loved him. But as believers, we don't mourn like the world. We don't mourn like the world as if everything is lost and it's all gone forever and ever and ever. There's a season of, 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 of weeping and mourning. But as 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it speaks to this. It says, brothers and sisters, this is Paul speaking, we don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who have slept in death, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many times do we just focus on the death of Jesus? Awesome. But he rose again. He's not in the grave. He's at the right hand of the Father. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're not going to be raised before they do. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And I love this verse. And after that, we who are still alive and are left behind will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Those who have been, this is, this is cool. I don't know how it works. I don't have all the theology figured out. But I do know this. If we're remaining and God calls us up, guess who we're going to see first? Our loved ones who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to meet them together in the air to meet Jesus Christ. That is cool. What's up? Let's go. I don't know how it's all going to play out, and, but it, that is powerful. I love that. It's, Lord himself is going to come down from heaven. He's going to shout, called up together. And after that, we are still alive and left behind. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage another, uh, one another with these words. So when we're facing death, when we, when we have faced death of a loved one, be comforted by this. It's only a short time. I just heard this statistic that 10 out of 10 Christians are going to die. Did you hear that? And check this out. 10 out of 10 Christians will rise again to eternal life. Isn't that awesome? That's a great statistic. I love how God works in equations like that. Yes, it hurts, but the hurt is only temporary. Hebrews 12 speaks of a great cloud of witnesses. Right after that, cloud of faith. Talking about all those who have not attained the promise, who died believing in it. You go to Hebrews 12, 1, and it says, hey, there's a great cloud of witnesses here. Check them out. Those who've gone before us, who have persevered in faith, they're cheering us on, it looks like. Come on! Go towards the prize. Keep going! You know, it's, it's probably something like, you know, like a football game. They're all screaming at the TV screen, you know? Come on, let's go! Almost there! 
It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I love that. And talks about him. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the scorning, its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His eyes were fixed on the prize, so our eyes should be fixed on the prize. Just as he had scorning and shame and all these things going on in, in his life, so we will too. Keep your eyes on the prize. Consider him endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't grow weary in doing well. Don't grow weary. How many of you are weary this morning in doing well? I just want to be bad. I just want to key their car. I just want to, you know, I mean, constant restraint, you know. Don't grow weary in doing well because guess what? You will reap a harvest if you don't stop. There's going to be fruit. It's going to come. Persevere, brothers and sisters. So we're to consider those who have finished the, the, the race. And this is ultimately going to give us encouragement. This is because Christ, who is our hope, has had victory over death. It's going to be awesome. And so yes, like Abraham, we weep. But ultimately, that mourning turns into hope. As the Holy Spirit, who comforts us, He reminds us of the prize that is set before us. He reminds us of those who have gone on and that it's, it's going to be good. And together, we're going to meet them with the Lord to be with the Lord forevermore. Verse 3 says, Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. And he said, Hey, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. And Abraham considered himself a foreigner among them. Hebrews 11.9, By faith he made his, his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He still considers himself a foreigner in the land. The land that God gave him to possess. Here he is before all these people. He's been in the land a long time. He's established. He calls himself a foreigner. I'm a foreigner among you, looking forward to the cities, foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 5, the Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse his tomb for burying your dead. Mighty prince. He considers himself a sojourner, a foreigner, a vagabond type. But they go, no, man, you're a mighty prince. And he was a mighty prince in the land. Remember Genesis 14 with, with uh, 318 trained warriors in his house? That guy could take out people. And they had respect for him. They perceived that Abraham was a mighty warrior. Why did they do that? Because God was with him. What made the mighty men of valor mighty men in the Old Testament? Because they slew all those people? Or is there a verse in there next to their names that says, because the Lord was with them? Very interesting. But the Hittites said, hey, wherever you want. In verse 7, then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. And he said to them, hey, if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede, intercede with Ephron, the son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, uh, which belongs to him, and it's at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price, 
as a burial site among you. There's a, there's, a, there's a cave I have my eye on. This is where I want to bury my wife. Talk to this guy. I will pay full price for it. And so Abraham asked to purchase this field. And before we move on, there's a lot of cultural stuff here that might seem distant to us. But note here how Abraham does business with heathens, so to speak, with foreigners. How he represents the Lord. You know, the Hittites were godless people and still... Abraham showed him civil respect. He bowed down before them. He offered to pay full price. Pretty interesting. Remember who we represent when we're conducting business in our community as Christians. Remember, you know, be a blessing, not necessarily asking for the discount. You know, I've shared this before. When I was, uh, you know, when I was waiting tables, uh, and people would come in and they'd talk, oh yeah, it was hard. The worst tippers were Christians and foreigners. Because, and the reason being is because if we, if we don't give 10% to God, why are we giving 15% to a, you know, we can't justify it. And then beyond that, it's really, really funny because, uh, you know, the foreigners, they just have a different concept and value of money. And so it's just different. But we don't, you know, here we are. So they look at us and go, why don't you do that? Why, you guys must be people who bless people. And I'm not telling you to tip more, but I'm just saying, hey, we represent God wherever we go. Think about it. Think about the attitudes we, you know, we, we, we give when the food's not right. You know, think about these. I have to think about these things. You know, I want people to, to look at me when I go into a place and go, that guy's a blessing. You know, I want to serve this guy. You know, and, and just think about it in your life, wherever you go. When you're working with Christians, how about giving them more than they're asking for? Not always trying to get the discount. I don't know. Just think about it in your own heart. But anyways, uh, verse 10, it says, Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Notice it's in the gate of the city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Here it is. Go ahead and have it. I give it to you. Now, this, is not, this does not mean he's giving it to him. You have to know the Middle East mindset. He's saying, here it is in front of everybody. Oh, it's a good gesture. Now, if Abraham would have taken it, he would probably would have been dead. He's saying, I, I'm, I give it to you. Here it is, you know. And in verse 12, says, Abraham, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. He said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the full price of the field. Accept it for me uh, and so I can bury my dead. No, I won't take it for free. You know, hey, what's the price? You know, in other words, and Ephron asked Abraham, listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what that's, what's that between me and you? Bury your dead. See how they're kind of working to a, a price here? 400 is the seller's price. 400 shekels was the seller price. And so now Abraham, if he was in the bargaining mood, which they, oh, they do if you're over there, he would, he would come back with 40% of that offer. And the guy would respond, uh, you know, hey, you know, well, 60%. And then, they, then Abraham would offer 55%. And then he would, or, you know, or 50% or something, and he would just go apoplectic, you just go crazy and go, oh, you know, this, this, this business has been in my family for generations, you know, I cannot possibly accept 50%, 55. 
you know, we're all going to die if, if, you know, at 50. And anyways, you, you'd agree somewhere between 50 and 60%. It's funny, I was in, in Israel in the Arab quarter, and you're, you're in Jerusalem, and you're underneath, and oh my gosh, it is a lot of fun to hack, haggle with people. Uh, it's like garage sailing on steroids. It's amazing. You got to do that uh, someday. Don't do it like in a supermarket. It doesn't work. But uh, yeah, Mexico, it's fun. But Abraham, he didn't haggle. He's willing to pay full price. Even in the death of his wife, Abraham was a blessing to those around him. And I also just wrote down for some reason, I said I also find it funny that, that even from the time of Abraham till today, the funeral business is lucrative. <laughs> full price, you're going to pay full price. Verse 16, and we're going to close up here. It says, Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms. And weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight uh, current among the merchants. And this was the only property that he would own, the the field to bury his wife. And so Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both fields were in the cave, both the field were in the cave and the trees and everything was deeded to Abraham uh, as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. And afterward, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. And so this was also where Isaac and, and Ishmael were buried. Uh, Abraham was buried. Isaac, Rebekah, both buried there. Jacob buried Leah there. Joseph and Joseph was buried, uh, sorry, Joseph buried Jacob. So it was a family cave, and all, it was called the Tomb of the Patriarchs. There's a mosque over it now. But uh, so um, I know this is kind of a short chapter. I just wanted to, to get 25, uh, chapter 23 done today. And I could have done 24, but 24 is pretty, pretty amazing piece of scripture. And so we're going to save that for next week. So, uh, you know, as we go through our walk, and I know that there's a lot of pain and suffering, remember that it's not over. Look to the Lord today in your suffering, in your, in your trials, the people you love. Look to Him for strength. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna go through it, friends. That's just part of life. But how we go through it, that's part of following after in the footsteps of Christ. Amen? So let's, let's pray and let's, uh, let's go ahead and make it a day. Father, I pray for this church. I pray that your hand would be upon it. I ask that you would bless them. Keep them this week as they go about shining your light. I pray that you'd remove uh, whatever does not bring you glory from their path. I pray that they would walk in the narrow gate. Lord, you're, you're our hope. When we fall down, we have only you to cling to. And so, Lord, raise us up. Lift us up. Strengthen us for this week. Help us to see our circumstances and the uh, world around us, the people we interact with, through the lens of love, through the lens of Scripture, through the eyes of your Son. So, Father, bless the ladies we ask again as they are driving home. Watch over them. Help all the guys clean up. In the name of Jesus, amen. (laughs)